Well, good morning, Crosspoint family. So glad that you joined us this morning. Um, this morning, I want to take an opportunity to share God's word with you. We're going to look at a really interesting, perhaps even funny story that uh, I think we're going to be able to draw some important points and lessons that we could put into practice immediately, especially as we look around ourselves and begin to look out for other people's interests, just like the Bible says. So I'm excited about this. I hope you're ready. Uh, The title of this morning's message is None Left Behind. None Left Behind. I think an adequate title for this Memorial Day weekend. Um, The key verse that we're going to look at today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. What I want to do this morning is really take a look at the story and draw some lessons specifically about looking around and making sure that none of our youth are left behind. During times of crisis, it is our tendency to look out for ourselves first and then perhaps look out for other people's interests. The Bible, especially in Philippians chapter 2, Paul exhorts us to not look out only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. So specifically this morning, what I want to do is have us reflect on the fact that there's a lot of people around us during this COVID-19 time and that are perhaps slipping through the cracks, <clears throat> whether they are uh, the elderly or the young. I'm going to focus on the young today. I've been thinking about this a lot because <clears throat> ever since I was uh, on the younger side, you know, I, I have a, found myself having a heart for, for youth at at one point, I wanted to be a elementary school teacher, and I did that for about eight years. And then the last 10, 11 years, I've had the privilege of working with uh, youth, 12, 13-year-olds at an intermediate school in Bell Gardens. And so that's probably why my heart is leaning towards that. Also, in uh, having Bible studies with, uh, with young people as of late, um, I, I've, I've heard this cry uh, where they're feeling overseen. They're not being noticed. They're not being taken into account. <clears throat> and many times as parents or adults, uh, we, we feel like we have all these responsibilities, and we do. And we feel like, you know, the young people, well, they're not even going to school. What do they have to worry about? And that's not the case. We got to realize that our young people are experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression, uh, given the l- amount of loss that they've experienced, whether they're not being able to go to school or not being able to participate in sports, or just seeing their friends. Perhaps we forget sometimes what it was like to be that age. And so I I want to remind us and to exhort us and encourage us to really look around, especially for the young who may have a tendency to fall through the cracks and go unnoticed this morning. All right? We're going to look at Luke chapter 2 for that. But the main point this morning is this. Living for God's glory includes looking out for the interest of others, especially of the most vulnerable. And that's where our youth comes in. Boy, you know that the enemy would love to get his hands on our youth. Our, our youth are so valuable and at the same time so vulnerable. And so the rest of us, whether parents or simply adults, if we have nephews, if we have neighbors, as a church family, we got to realize that all the youth is our youth, all of our youth, regardless if they are our own children or, or they are related to us. If we are uh, born-again believers, this is the family of God. And so 
any youth, any child that comes to our church or, and really any child that is around us, we should really take into account and realize the responsibility and privilege that we have to minister to them and make sure that they don't go unnoticed and that they certainly are not left behind. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of biblical examples of uh, people raising children and being aware of youth that were done right. All in the Old Testament, I'm always excited to see how, you know, whether it was Ezra or, or anybody, Nehemiah or, or the, uh, maybe the inauguration of the temple, it says that everybody came out. And, and the Bible includes the children were there, you know, listening to, to what was happening and, and experiencing and being part of what was going on. In the New Testament, you find over and over again, whether it's Lydia or Cornelius or the Philippian jailer, you know, when they come to faith, it says that not only them, but their entire household. And I believe that includes the youth and the children that were there. If you remember Cornelius specifically, I love that story. But Cornelius, when he finds out that Peter is coming over, he gathers not just his own family, but even neighbors and friends. So that when Peter gets to Cornelius' home, that place is packed. I would love for us to really consider what the Bible has to say about us being aware of and looking out for the interest of others, especially the most vulnerable, specifically this morning for our youth and our children. I hope you're ready. There's also, unfortunately, a lot of biblical examples of, uh, I wouldn't say bad parenting, but situations gone wrong. From the beginning, uh, Cain killing his brother Abel. What happened there? You know, they, they weren't children. We don't know exactly how old they were. But the point is, here we have a set of parents, Adam and Eve, and two of his kids, one ends up killing the other. Tragic. You have stories with David, where uh, one of his sons takes advantage of his stepsister. Uh, then other of his kids are, end up trying to kill him. And um, You have so many stories, so I don't want to get too much into that. Needless to say, there's plenty of examples on both ends. Parenting and raising of children done right, and then parenting and raising of children maybe not done correctly, or as God would have us do. Obviously, parenting does not guarantee the expected outcome every time. You could, do, you could be a good parent. You could do things well, as best as possible, because none of us are perfect parents. Um, there's always that possibility of, of difficulties. As a matter of fact, difficulties in parenting are almost assured. So what we want to do, we're not saying we're going to, uh, you know, foolproof our parenting practices or our raising of our youth together. But what we are saying is, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say and let's be encouraged and uh, motivated to make sure that we leave nobody behind. You know, a while back, uh, I mean, I was probably four years old. Uh, my dad used to love to play soccer. And so wherever he went, there we used to go. And we used to love to go watch him play. Not so much to watch him play, just kind of hang out in the monkey bars or just run around in the park, my siblings. And we had a cousin, Eddie, that pretty much was raised with us, along with us, my dad's nephew. And on one occasion, we went to, I believe it was a, one of his practices on a, maybe on a Wednesday evening. So there we go, uh, soccer practice. And my dad was a bit laid back, you know, so we just jump, all jump in in the station wagon. There we go to the park. We hang out. And then we come home. And then Grandma says, where's Eddie? 
Eddie was not there. We forgot him at the park. My dad, for, I said my dad, he was the adult. We, he forgot my cousin Eddie at the park. Can you believe it? But the reality, beloved, it happens. It happens. As parents, we make mistakes. As adults, we make mistakes. And uh, it happens more often than we would like to admit. And it's unfortunate to a certain extent. My cousin Eddie was fine. We went back to the park. We found him. I don't even think he realized that we had left him. So it all worked out well. Don't worry about Eddie. Don't send us emails about that. Everything is fine. But it happens. It happens. And as a matter of fact, what I want to do today is I want to take a look at a story where it happened to somebody very important. Would you believe Jesus, at the age of 12, was left behind for three days? We want to take a look at that story and then draw some some lessons and make some practical applications. So here we go. Uh, Let's take a look at, uh, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a verse, I mentioned it to you, a key verse, 1 Thessalonians 14. I want to read that to give us some context to the story that we're about to read. All right? So listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, as we dive into this message entitled, None Left Behind. Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Boy, if we make that application towards our youth, whether we're parents or uncles or just youth in our church, you know, be patient with everybody. How often or how easy is it to become unpatient or or to, to be impatient towards children and youth? You know, to help the weak, the disheartened, to to encourage them and and even the idle, the ones that are not very motivated. And, and even the disruptive ones. So Paul here puts us all under this, this umbrella of help everybody. Don't let anybody be left behind. Luke chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. We're going to look at the story how Jesus was accidentally left behind by his parents in Jerusalem at the age of 12. Can you imagine? Um, and, and, and I, had a, I had a good time, I got to say, just meditating in the story and letting my sanctified imagination kind of run a little wild and just imagining how the, the terror of realizing where is Jesus and three days having to look for him. We'll get into that. But especially during difficult times, I want to reiterate, the young and the elderly tend to be overlooked by the rest of us. And spiritually speaking, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to be used by God for the furtherance of His kingdom with these people, the elderly and the youth. And really, this goes for everybody around us who might uh, have the tendency of or the possibility to be left behind. Okay? So here's what we're going to answer. To ensure that no youth, specifically, to ensure that no youth is left behind, we must, and I got four points that I want to share with you. We're going to hurry. All right. So to ensure that no youth is left behind, we must, we're going to look at four things, looking at Luke chapter 2, verses 40, 52. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to open that up. I know you're in your living rooms, probably nice and comfortable, but uh, I, I would encourage you, uh, dads, leaders of the home, moms, parents, and, and everybody. If you're old enough to understand what I'm saying, I would love for you to have a Bible in front of you, whether it's your phone or your, 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 your actual Bible, and follow along. Luke chapter 2. Let's take a look at the story. We're going to start in verse 40 because it says, speaking of Jesus our Lord, and the child 
grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Great description of the growing up of our Lord Jesus Christ in the physical sense here, right? And my first point is going to come out of that. To ensure that no youth is left behind, in verse 40, we must, one, help children grow strong and wise. Now, much easier said than done. But we must help children become strong. And not just physically speaking, but strong in their convictions, in their values, in their understanding of their worth and their purpose in life. We must help children grow strong and wise. For that, we need discipline and teaching. You know, uh, Dr. Dobson has a book entitled, Parenting is Not for Cowards. And another book called, Dare to Discipline. You know, discipline is not easy. And, and nobody enjoys discipline, it says in Hebrews, right? When we're being disciplined, that's not enjoyable. But we realize that it yields a fruit later on for which we are blessed and, and better for. So let me, let me share some verses with you in talking about helping children grow strong and wise. Based on verse 40, that's what we see that the Lord, how the Lord Jesus Christ uh, grew. He grew strong and he became, uh, he was filled with wisdom. And it says that the grace of God was upon him. So if we don't want our youth to be left behind, the first thing we have to do is make sure that we do our best to have them grow strong and in wisdom. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 7 is a very well-known portion. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. You see that? First, he says, these commandments need to be in your heart. And then, once they're in your heart, then you are to impart them and teach them to your children, to your young ones. How? He says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Here we see involvement. Involvement. You know, sometimes we say, hey, you know, I don't spend a lot of time with my kids, but the time that I do spend is, is quality time. Quality time is great, but that's not enough. Um, I won't even get into the sad statistics about how much, in general, adult parents uh, engage with their children in meaningful conversation. It's down to like five minutes a day. And at first we want to say, there's no way, five minutes, that's nothing. But then you start looking at your conversations that are meaningful and productive and uplifting with your children, and you realize, wow, five minutes might be right on. So let's take a look at that. How are we engaged with our children? And of course, in general terms, if you don't have young children or no young children around, just young people around you. There's many of them. Find them. Make sure they're not left behind. But here, the Lord is speaking to Moses, giving him the law and says, make sure you love the Lord with everything you got and then teach that to your children. How? When you get up, when you lie down, when you're walking around, meaning you're engaged in their life, you're spending a lot of time. And yeah, make it quality time, but make sure there's a lot of that. Otherwise, it's just not going to happen. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off on the way they should go. And when they are old, they would not turn from it. That's Proverbs 22, 6. 
We need to make sure that we raise our children in the way that they should go. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There is so much instruction from the Bible towards us as parents and towards adults as we deal with youth and children, beloved. We got to make sure that there's discipline and teaching and that there's teaching by example, right? Even in Deuteronomy, make sure that is in you. You're loving the Lord. You're being obedient to God's commands. And then you can teach that. Why? Because if you're not loving the Lord, you can't teach them. I got this revelation. You know, I kind of joke around and say, I, I, I don't have any original thoughts. I usually borrow, you know, stuff from great teachers that we have. But uh, not that long ago, I was considering this, and, I, and, and, and this somewhat original thought came to me, and it goes something like this. The reason why good parenting is so difficult is because we often find ourselves trying to teach our children something that we're not very good at. I find that to be the problem in my parenting. When I'm trying to get my children, my young ones, to be and do that which I'm not very good at doing. And so the responsibility lies on the parents. We need to make sure that we are doing what God is asking us to do or commanding us so that we can then teach it to our children. Otherwise, frustration is going to set in when you're trying to have your your children become something. Or the youth in our church. If we, the adults in the church, are not something that we want our youth to become, it's going to be an uphill battle and maybe an impossible mission. But when we are being obedient and we're asking others to do as we are or as we do, it makes things a lot easier. So we must must teach by example. Uh, We see that in verses 41 and 42 here. It says, His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast, meaning these were obedient Jews to the customs of their of the time. When God said, hey, there's three major uh, uh, feasts and celebrations for which every, every, everyone needs to come to Jerusalem, they were obedient to that. And during this Passover at the age of 12, they did that again. So we see Joseph and Mary... Jesus' mother and stepdad, being obedient to God's commands and leading by example. Titus 2.7 says this, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity and seriousness. But he says, in everything, set an example of doing what is good. So here Paul is telling Titus, a young uh, pastor in charge of a congregation, he says, hey, if you're going to teach them, make sure that you lead by example. And parenting is all about leading by example. And not just parenting again, but just leading needs to be done by example. So if we're going to make sure that our youth don't uh, aren't left behind, and we want to teach them and, and discipline them, we need to do that by example. So point number one was we want to help children grow strong and wise if we don't want them to be left behind. Let's take a look at verse 44. I'll read verse 43, and our second point is if we're, if we're, if we're not going to let anybody stay behind, number two is we should not assume or take things for granted. We should not assume things or take things for granted. 
What do I mean by that? Starting verse 43. It says, when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So here they went to Jerusalem to celebrate, observe this feast. Once they were done, they were heading back, back home. And it was quite the distance, so they, they traveled in a caravan, lots of people traveling together. That would ensure their safety. And among those, you had relatives, you had friends. I, I don't know how many people were in that caravan. It had to be a lot. Normally, what they would do is they would have the children and the women go in front, and the men would make sure that nobody stayed behind. Now, age 12 is an interesting age, especially for a Jewish boy. You're no longer a child. And you're kind of growing your way into adulthood, even at 12 for them. And so, lest you think that Joseph and Mary were irresponsible towards the Son of God, I would, I would uh, bid you to consider that age of 12 kind of uh, allowed for this situation to occur. So if he's no longer a child, you know, maybe the 11 prior years, he would have been in the front with the women and the children. But at age 12... He could have gone with them in the front or in the back with the men. And so Mary could have assumed, or she did assume, oh, my boy is 12. He's with the boys, with the men. And Joseph could have assumed, you know, my boy, he's, 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 you know, he's still, he's still got a little ways to go, perhaps. I don't know exactly what he was thinking, but he must be up front with the women and the children. So it made sense to do that. They weren't irresponsible parents. All right, let's get that straightened out. I don't think God would have chosen Mary if she would have, if he knew that she was going to be an irresponsible parent. And there's a lot to learn from that, beloved. You know, one of the problems that we have in parenting is that we want to, we want to have perfect children and that's not going to work. Or we want, you know, it's embarrassing when we go out in public and, and our children are acting up and we feel like that's such a reflection on us. We have to relax. We have to relax and give each other some grace. All right. Joseph and Mary forgot Jesus. We're going to make mistakes. Let me tell you the last thing that parents need, especially when they come to church all the time, but especially at church. Nobody wants to come to a church. Nobody who has children wants to come to a church where when their children misbehave in whatever way, their children are going to get chewed on, and so are they as parents. They're going to be judged and looked down upon. So keep that in mind. All right? Let's encourage our parents Let's help our children make sure that nobody stays behind. That's what I want to see Crosspoint as. You know, we love our children here at Crosspoint. I love seeing kids run around, especially during the middle service. Oh, what I would give to be able to see some kids running around right here in this empty building, right? But Lord willing, soon we'll, we'll, we'll see that again. Looking forward to that. So as parents, we shouldn't assume things, especially as Christian parents, Having our children grow up in a Christian uh, church, you know, oh, I go to church on Sundays and my son always goes, my daughter is always with me. Surely they're getting the gospel, they're understanding the gospel, they're responding to the gospel. Don't ever take that for granted. I had a good friend of mine years ago tell me this. He said, hey, you know what? I made a mistake. I just assumed that because we, my children were growing up in church that they were going to be fine. 
I just took it for granted that because they were being taken care of, they went to the youth group, they had Sunday school class, they were going to be all right. And he was lamenting over that. He realized that he wasn't as engaged in their spiritual upbringing at home because he took that for granted because his children were growing up in the church. There's so much wisdom in that. That is so important. Here, Joseph and Mary assumed Jesus was with them as they were returning home. It turned out not that wasn't the case. But us as parents or as a church or as an adult with the responsibility and privilege to help youth around us, we shouldn't ever take it for granted. You never know what, what children and youth are going through. As a teacher of seventh graders, you know, I have about 100 students right now. And I know of many of them are going through some really hard times at home. Things that I never experienced and I'm grateful for, and yet my heart breaks for them. Terrible things. And yet, if I'm not aware of that, I don't care enough to know about what they're going through, and all I do is judge their, their lack of proper behavior or the fact that they didn't bring their homework perfectly done, and I don't take into account what they're going through, that's how children get uh, exasperated, discouraged, disheartened, and, and, and want to give up and are left behind eventually by the rest of us. So we want to be careful with that. Never assume or take things for granted. We have to be purposeful in our parenting and in our upbringing of our youth. Children need parents. Children need parents for protection, for provision, for direction. You can't just take this attitude of, you know, I hear people saying things like, you know, I'm not going to instill a faith uh, on my children. I'm going to let them grow up, and when they get old enough, I'm going to let them choose. Well, they're going to choose eventually anyway. It doesn't matter where you bring them up. But it's such a mistake to think, oh, I'm just going to let them be, and, you know, eventually they'll get to an age where they'll be able to make their own choice. Oh, beloved. Here's this phrase that came to my mind as I was preparing this. As parents and, and as a community of believers, we have to focus on our youth because if we don't, somebody else will. If we don't focus on our youth and our children, somebody else will. The enemy will. The, the, the enemy, Satan, the devil, is like a roaring lion, beloved, seeking to whom he may devour. And if you like to watch National Geographics like I do and see these lions and these cheetahs and, and how they attack, and very often they attack the most vulnerable, the very young or the weak, the ones that are being left behind. It's the same thing with our, with our enemy and with our youth, beloved. We have to be intentional and we need to focus on our children. Certainly we have to focus on everyone, of course, but this morning I want to focus on our youth and make sure that they are not left behind. All of our youth. Point number three, if we want to ensure that no youth is left behind, we must do whatever it takes not to lose them. Look at verse 45 and 48 through 48. So when they, Joseph and Mary, did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. They had already traveled the whole day. As soon as they found out that Jesus was not with them, they returned back to Jerusalem, seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished 
at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. We did everything we could to try to find you. Why did you do that to us? My point here is that when you see somebody lagging behind, when you see somebody uh, making a wrong decision, taking the wrong turn, going down the wrong path, don't wait for them to come back. As much as it's in you, do whatever it takes to not lose one. You know, I'm thinking about the prodigal children among us. What are you doing about it? Can I say, don't do nothing. Do something. You may not have the exact answer. You may not know how to react towards one of your children or a youth in our church. Kind of, you see the signs that they're going the wrong way. Well, do something. Do anything. Do everything you can. Let's do everything that we can to make sure that we don't lose any of them. Why? That's, that's the heart of our God. Luke 19.10 says that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. When he talks about the parable of the, of the, uh, the man who had, uh, the, the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one is lost. What does he say? He leaves the 99 securely and goes after the one until he finds it. Let's be courageous. Let's get out of our comfort zone. And if we see somebody in trouble, let's go after them, beloved. Let's go after them. Let's encourage ourselves. And that's what I'm hoping that this message does to you. It will encourage you to think about the people that have taken those wrong steps, that have made those wrong decisions, and maybe are far from the faith right now. What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Joseph and Mary, as soon as they found out that Jesus was not with them, they hurried and they did their best to go back and look for Jesus. And they didn't stop until they found him. Let's do the same. Let's sacrifice for those we wish to see saved and well. This has an application for everyone. You have any unsaved friends or pre-saved relatives? What are we doing about it? Are we okay with leaving them or allowing them to be left behind? I say, let's not be okay with that. Let's let nobody be left behind. Let's do whatever we can. So what do we do? We help children grow strong and wise. We don't assume or take things for granted, and we do whatever it takes not to lose them. We sacrifice to make sure that people are not left behind. And let me, as a piece of advice, I think parents and adults, even at, at church, I'm thinking our youth leaders, for example, awesome group of young adults. Children, for the most part, are egocentric. They're self-centered. They don't tend to look out and see what other people are doing for them in, in a way that they would be appreciative towards them. That has to be instilled in them. And so sacrifice for them, but let them know of your sacrifice. Don't throw it at their face. You know, don't sound all resentful about the fact that you sacrifice for them, but let them know in a loving manner. Say, hey, look, you know, every day when I go to work, a big part of why I do it is, is you. Because I love you and I want to provide for you. And God has given you to me as a responsibility and a privilege to upbring you and provide for you. So keep that in mind. When I go to work, I go to work for you. When I do this, I'm doing that for you. Take your kids aside and say, hey, look, I don't know if you've noticed, but um, you know, it, it wasn't until I got a lot older when I started appreciating and realizing 
how much my parents were sacrificing for for myself and for my siblings. And and I, I wish that that would have been instilled in me a little bit more. You know, hey, keep in mind, next time you want to run your mouth, Mike, as a youngster, and tell us how you don't have this or that, make sure you understand that what we do have, we do, what you do have comes at a great sacrifice on our part, and we're glad to do it for you. I think that would have helped me a lot. Uh, to be more appreciative of my parents at a younger age. Keep that in mind. So, last thing I want to share with you, verse 49. Now, before you start panicking and say, what happened to Jesus? They found him. Everything's all right. Uh, he was found by his parents. Verse 49, look at what he says. And the, la- the fourth thing that I want to share with you is that if we're not going to let anyone be left behind, we need to send them forward. We need to send them forward. What I mean by that, verse 49, And Jesus said to them, Why do you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Let me finish this off. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor uh, with God and men, which is what we want with, with all, for all of our children and all of our youth for them to grow, to increase in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. But let me go back to verse 49. Mary says, why did you do this to us? We've been looking frantically for you. And Jesus says, why were you? He says, "Um, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And what what that uh, spoke to me was, that we must send our children forward, our youth forward. If we don't want them to, for them to stay back or be left behind, then we need to push them forward. What do I mean by that? You know, the goal of parenting is not for you to raise these perfect children. I mean, what do you do with perfect children? The goal of parenting needs to be uh, raising these future, God-fearing, God-obeying, God-loving, God-serving adults. That's the goal of parenting. Not to have perfect kids. They're going to grow out of that. Our goal needs to be, as they grow up, they're going to get to a point where they are these mature lovers of God that are willing to serve Him and serve others in a sacrificial manner. To be more like Christ. That's that's the goal of parenting. And so we need to push them forward towards that. He was only 12 here. Jesus was. But he tells Mary already, why are you looking for? This is where I'm supposed to be. He's kind of essentially saying, I'm, I know I'm with you, but I don't really belong to you. I really belong to my father, and I need to be about his business. You know, beloved, our children are not our own. They're not ours. They're the Lord's. They belong to him. And the greatest thing that we can do for our children is to help them on their walk, on their path, on their journey, on their race to be about their father's business, to be God-honoring to our Lord Jesus Christ in how they live, in every aspect of their life. So if we don't want them to to be left behind, let's send them forward. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. Everything we do should be geared towards discipling our children to become Christ-like. We need to be intentional about helping them understand and carry out God's purposes for their lives. Don't let our children settle. 
I want to wrap this up with a quote by uh, Vodi Bakum. Vodi Bakum. If you don't know him, I highly recommend. Look him up. Uh, YouTube him. And I think you'll be really blessed with what he has to say. I had an opportunity to listen to him preach a while back at a shepherd's conference. And he just has some really good stuff. So I follow him on Instagram. And one post that he has says, If I've taught my child to keep his eye on the ball, but have failed to teach him to keep his or her eyes on Christ, I have failed as a parent. I think that speaks to our culture quite a bit. You know, what are we teaching our children? What are we telling our children is the most important thing, is the most valuable thing? And we live in a culture where sports is such a, such a you know, big deal, and that's what he's referring to. You know, if as a parent, I've taught my child to keep his or her eye on the ball, rule number one in sports, keep your eye on the ball, but I failed to help my child keep his eyes or her eyes on Christ, then I have failed as a parent. We need to make sure we have our priorities straight so that we could be an example to our children and our young ones in our church, and I would say, beloved, anybody around us, any youth and anybody who is more vulnerable, especially during these times of difficulties. You know, people are experiencing anxiety. A lot of people are experiencing loss, depression, you know, suicidal thoughts and suicide. All these mental health issues are, are rising because of what we're going through with COVID-19. And it is our opportunity, our privilege, and our responsibility to step up and make sure that none is left behind. I hope you're blessed by, by God's word. I want to wrap it up by uh, taking communion with you. I invite you to take communion. Um, hopefully, as we've been doing this for many weeks now, uh, you know that we're going to be taking communion. I invite you as a parent uh, or the adult at home or to, to really consider um, making provisions for taking communion. If you're not ready this week, I would encourage you to be ready next week. Uh, there's so much that we can do, right? Uh, you know, making sure that uh, as we continue these recordings of our services and you get a chance to watch them at home, uh, we have a, a, a tendency or it's possible for us to, you know, take it easy and be a little too laid back. I want to encourage you, dads, moms, just adults, if you are maybe the only Christian at your home, step up. Uh, let's get the right attitude towards uh, a church service, towards hearing a message. Um, don't just hear this message. You know, go to the next step. Talk to your family, your your young ones. How do they feel during these times? How do they feel about this message? Who who do they believe is being left behind, and what can we do about it? Let's get active. Let's be proactive because you know this is not just going to happen if we just uh, keep the norm the status quo, if we don't rock the boat and we're not purposeful, many are going to be left behind. And I know that's not what God wants for any of us. So as we take communion, we remember, we celebrate something of extreme importance for us as believers. What Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 year, years ago at the cross should never be overlooked or taken lightly. His blood the blood of the perfect Lamb of God was shed in order that you and I 
can experience and receive forgiveness of sins. And in so having experiencing that, we have the opportunity to have a relationship with the perfect and holy God based on what Jesus did for us. And so as, as, as we remember that and we uh, are able to do this together in communion, knowing that it is the blood of Christ, the, His sacrifice on the cross that we remember and makes all of this possible, I want to read to you what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I know that all of us are at a different place in our journey, in our walk with God. And for those of you watching, I want to keep reminding you that this journey begins with a decision to believe God. Not to just believe in God, but to believe God. What the Bible says about him and what he did for you and what he says about you. And the Bible says that you and I are both and all sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible is plain and clear that there's only one way to be saved, and that is through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. There is no religion that will get you to heaven. There are no amount of good works that will ever get you to heaven. The only thing, our only plea, is the blood of Christ shed on our behalf. That's what this juice represents. The bread represents the body of our Lord, who was, which was crucified, hung on a cross for you and for me. And for that, we're eternally grateful. But if you've not made a decision to follow the Lord, to repent of your sin, to acknowledge Him as the only Savior, and you've not surrendered your life to Him, what are you waiting for? You don't know if you're going to be here tomorrow. None of us do. And to not accept the gift, the free gift of salvation through what Jesus did leaves you in a state of condemnation. You don't have to wait. Maybe you've never heard this before. But if you're not born again, you are dead in your sins and trespasses as we speak. You have to go from being a uh, member of the kingdom of darkness to a member of the kingdom of light. And that is only done by recognition of your spiritual bankruptcy and your need of a Savior and an acceptance of what Jesus did for you at the cross. And that's what we celebrate today. Paul says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May the Lord bless you. Let's dismiss with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. Thank you for this message. We pray for forgiveness for our sins and trespasses. Father, we pray for your guidance and help, for your strength and courage, your wisdom, humility, everything that we need in order for us to be willing 
to look out for the interests of others, not just our own, and especially those that are most vulnerable around us. We pray for our youth, for our children, for our young ones. We ask that we would all understand the responsibility and privilege that we have and the role that we can play in upbringing these these children to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for your help. We thank you for your goodness. We praise you for your grace. We ask that we dismiss us with your blessing. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.